Today's message is the final message in our Pentecostal series, one that we've been focusing on all this month, and it's a series all about the Holy Spirit and what it means to be people of the Spirit. First week, we looked at what we believe as Pentecostal people, as people of the Spirit. And then we looked at what we can experience as Pentecostals. And then last week, we looked at how should we live as Pentecostals? What does this Spirit-filled life mean for us in everyday life? Um, and we've, we've learned that Pentecostal, that word, it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to, to, to shy away from. It just means anything related to the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And we believe that what happened in Acts chapter 2 is still happening today, that the Holy Spirit is still being poured out and the Holy Spirit is still active in the church. Amen. We call ourselves Pentecostals because we follow the example in Scripture, believing that that we too should be filled with the Holy Spirit. We believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that, that the Holy Spirit can still work through us as Christians. That's why we call ourselves Pentecostals. And we've talked about it a little bit over the past few weeks, a hallmark or a a signature feature, uh, a defining aspect of Pentecostal people is our worship. The way we express our worship and praise to God has always caught people's attention. And the way we express our worship to God has always been misunderstood and sometimes even mocked and ridiculed by others. The very first Pentecostals were mocked and ridiculed. And I don't mean 1900. I mean the year 0 A.D. Pentecostals, the year 33 A.D. Pentecostals, uh, those days, those ones that were there in Acts chapter 2, because as soon as they encountered the Holy Spirit, the Spirit was poured out on them. They, they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They, they responded by speaking in tongues in a language they had never heard. A crowd gathered, and the crowd looked at them, and there was something different about how they were acting, and they said, they're drunk. They've been, they've been drinking this early in the morning. That, this isn't God. This is them just... Uh, being, being filled, uh, filled with alcohol. And, and what it, that tells me is that religious people of the time, they saw something different in this form of worship these first Christians had that they didn't understand. It was a form of worship unlike anything they had ever seen before. And so the only thing they knew to do was to mock it or to ridicule it. And then 1,900 years later, after Pentecost, at, at Azusa Street and at those early Pentecostal revivals, the, the belief in the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit was restored to the church, and the world still misunderstood, and the world still ridiculed and mocked this passionate, Spirit-filled worship. Look at this. this. This right here is the headline of the Los Angeles Times in 1906 when it's reporting on the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the, the acts at Azusa Street. And it, they wrote mocking, jeering, slanderous reviews of the meetings where people were being filled with the Holy Spirit. The, this headline here, weird babble of tongues. They called them weird. They called them fanatical. They called them wild, irrational, and uneducated. Uh, even carnally minded Christians, other people who followed Jesus but hadn't had this experience, they were judgmental. And I've shared with you several times about how this judgment even led to uh, persecution, like churches being burned down and, and uh, people being uh, abused and, 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 and mocked and even beaten for their belief in the Holy Spirit. There's always been something different about the way people of the Spirit worship. It's always gotten people's attention. It's always invited pointed fingers. It's always been misunderstood slightly. But the truth is that we as people of the Spirit, we look to the Scripture 
to the Bible and to the traditions of the early church to define our worship and tell us how we should express ourselves in worship. Now, there's no single passage in the New Testament that tells us exactly, exactly how we, we should worship God. There, there's no single thing that I can turn to and say, okay, we're going to copy this exactly, and that's how you do it. There's bits and pieces scattered all through the Bible of what worship for spirit-filled believers looks like. We find in the New Testament examples where these new believers in Jesus that were filled with the Holy Spirit, they sang with group singing. They, there was loud praying that was going on. There was expressions of great joy. There was demonstrative behavior that onlookers compared to the actions of drunken men. There was something different. There was something that caught the eye of people around them. Let's just look at a couple of scriptures in the New Testament that talk about what worship should look like. And I'm going to bounce around, so we're not going to stand and, and that kind of thing. And just follow on the screen. But Ephesians 5, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and he says about their worship, he says, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submit to one another in reverence for Christ. And then Colossians 3, Paul is writing again, and he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let God's word dwell in you as you teach one another and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with great gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. And then 1 Corinthians 14, just, just one more passage to look at here. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which was having some difficulties in their worship services, and they were maybe not expressing themselves properly in worship. And he writes this, he says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And let all things be done for building up. And if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Next slide. For you all can prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the saints. Next one. And then skipping down a few verses to 39, he says, So brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So this is just a few, a really quick overview of some passages in the New Testament that talk about what worship services should be like. And so I just want to pull from these various passages what we as spirit-filled people and as a spirit-filled church, what worship should look like when we gather together as a family. Amen? And then we're going to practice this in just a few moments when the worship team comes back. We're going to respond to God's Word by doing what God's Word says. We're going to practice this. It's not enough to just say, yeah, that's what the Bible says. You have to step out and do what the Bible says. Amen? The first thing I see here is Pentecostal worship is based in the Bible. It is biblically based. It is clear from the passages we just read that corporate worship is, is mandatory for the church. 
that it is an expectation of the church. It is a biblical priority for us to come together as Christians, as a church body, to worship God together in unity. The Hebrew writer said, don't forsake assembling together. Don't forsake coming together in worship at a regular interval, at regular times. Paul tells us that that time of worship when we come together should include thanksgiving and praise and singing along with teaching and the reading of scripture. And it's a common thing in churches today to say things like, worship God however you feel comfortable. Now, I don't want to get on a soapbox. I know what they mean when they say that. They mean that you should feel free to worship God with, without judgment or without someone looking or, or criticizing you, that kind of thing. But there's nothing in Scripture that talks about being comfortable when you worship God. There's nothing in Scripture that says you just stay in your comfort zone and worship. In fact, the, uh, in fact, the Bible gives clear expectations in how and what we should do to worship God. Sometimes, though, that comfort thing, it gets translated to there's, there's no expectations of you in worship. You don't have to participate. You don't have to be a part of this, but it's not biblical. There's, there's no biblical basis as Christians to choose not to worship, to choose not to engage in what's going on in the worship service. We are supposed to be a part of it. The Bible gives us clear instruction as followers of Jesus how we should worship God and how to worship God. Just a few things in Scripture, biblical expressions of worship. First, we worship God with our voice. You, I don't think that you always have to have a lot of noise in worship, but if there's no noise, I start looking for like a Mississippi squirrel or something to let loose and get people excited, get something going around. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. It just went right over your head. Just look it up, Mississippi Squirrel Revival. You will thank me later. It, it will be great. But, but we should worship God with our voice. There's, there's no such thing as, as only quiet worship. Now, there are times for quietness before the Lord, but there's no such thing as, as, as simply always quiet worship. So we should speak. Psalm 34, 1 says that your praise will continually be on my lips. We should shout. The Bible says there's more talking about shouting in worship than there is about singing in worship in the Bible. Shouting is an important part of worship. And the, and the psalmist says, at his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of worship and shouts of of joy. And we should sing, sing praises to God and sing praises to our King, the psalmist says in Psalm 47. And not only with our voice, but we worship with our body. The psalmist says to bow down and worship and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, to, to get in a posture of bowing before the Lord. Uh, there's, even, there's even in Scripture examples of laying prostrate before the Lord in worship. The prophet Ezekiel said he fell on his face before God in God's presence and worshiped him. And then standing even is a sign of worship. Standing in awe, the psalmist says, my flesh trembles and I stand in awe of you, Lord. There's even just standing in the presence of God is an expression of worship. Dancing is an expression of worship. Psalm 149 says, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. There is an expectation that God says you will dance before me in worship and in praise. 
We don't just worship him with our bodies and our voices. We worship God with our hands. We had some clapping happening this morning. Amen. We can clap, and, and that's not just to clap along and have a good time with the music. Our clap is an offering of worship to the Lord. We play instruments. When, when the team is up here and they're, they're leading in worship, they're, they're playing an instrument, but they're not just performing for you. Even the act of Bart playing that bass is an act of worship of Bart offering his gift and offering his time to the Lord. Amen? That's an expression of worship. We, we worship by lifting our hands. The, that's all through Scripture. He says, I will praise you as long as I live, and I will lift up my hands in worship, David said. And then we, we worship God through our giving. We just gave him the offering, and, and that's an act of worship. When Jesus is at the, at the synagogue and he notices the widow who gives her two pennies and puts her in the offering, and everyone thinks she's only given a little, he says this act of worship was extravagant, and she's given more than anyone else, that she's worshiped God with more purity than anyone else there because she gave all that she had. Paul said in, in Philippians, he said when, he, when they gave to the ministry, when the church gave to his ministry, that that giving was a sweet incense and aroma to the Lord. Even our giving is a form of worship. And it, from these biblical examples, worship involves our entire bodies. It involves our entire being. Biblical worship is active and not passive. Biblical worship is passionate. It is exuberant. It is demonstrative. You don't watch worship. You engage in worship. We don't sit in a pew and listen to other people worship. We follow them as they lead us in worship. One of the criticisms often made of spirit-filled worship is that because it's oftentimes spontaneous and because it's oftentimes exuberant, that it's too emotional, that it's flesh, it's a distraction, it's too much. They'll even use Paul's words that we just read and they'll say, but you're supposed to do things decently and in order. And they'll say shouting and dancing in church is out of order. And they'll say laying before the Lord at the altar is out of order. Or they'll say worshiping God with your prayer language is out of order. But the context that Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 14 has nothing to do with emotion. It has nothing to do with volume. It has nothing to do with passion. Paul is addressing people claiming spiritual authority and inter interrupting the preaching of the word. He's talking about people not submitting to their pastor and their spiritual authority. He's talking about people. Uh, he, he knew that the scriptures, uh, he knew the scriptures and he was full of the Holy Spirit, Paul was. And he participated in spirit filled, passionate, exuberant, demonstrative worship. The scripture even says that when he came to a worship service, that he came in power and a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. There was something that he was doing in worship that people saw and people noticed. So Paul's not taught out that decently and out of order thing has nothing to do with how loud you get. And it has nothing to do with how passionate you are in worship. And it has nothing to do with you uh, using your body to worship God in the service. That is not what decently and order means. Decently and in order means is that you don't interrupt what the Holy Spirit is doing. Amen? We worship God with passion and zeal and excitement because we believe the Bible. We believe 
We've been washed in the blood. We believe and know that we've been filled with his spirit. We have experienced freedom in Christ. We have experienced his presence and his power. We have observed his miraculous hands at work. And when someone has really had that kind of encounter with God, you can't keep them quiet. You can't keep them shut up. They will sing. They will shout. They will clap. They will dance. They will kneel, bow, run, and leap for joy because Jesus has saved them. He has changed and transformed their life. And that is real truth true worship in spirit and in truth. Amen? So Pentecostal worship, it's biblical, but also Pentecostal worship begins with praise. We believe in biblical praise and worship. Psalm 100, we're going to sing some words from Psalm 100 in just a few moments. But he says to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Now, there. There's an overlap between praise and worship. It's, it's not exactly correct to say there's one thing that's praise and one thing that's worship because a lot of times they blend together. But there is a distinction between praise and worship. Praise is acknowledging thanks for what God has done, and it's an outward expression or a feeling of, of admiration for the Lord. This expression, it's verbal and it's audible, and it, it's a demonstration. It is expressed. The Bible always relates the concept of praise with some sort of expression. There is no understanding in the scripture of quiet praise. There is no understanding in the scripture of, of inward, internal praise. Praise always includes words. It includes bodily posture and actions. Praise is not just pondering the goodness of God or the nature of him. It is offering and expressing gratitude and appreciation for the goodness of God and for who he is. Praise always requires you to use your voice and your body. See, sometimes we, and, and, and I know there's different personalities, and not everyone's going to run laps and, and jump and shout, and that's okay. But I want you to understand that you can even get out of your comfort zone and what you're used to and follow the biblical mandate to open your mouth and praise God to use your own words to praise the God of your salvation. Praise is oftentimes spontaneous. It's not something planned. It's oftentimes a response to this inward feeling of joy, this inward overflow of God's presence. It's almost involuntary. It's almost like you can't help but praise him. And it's just something you have to do in response to how good God has been in your life. Anyone ever experienced the goodness of God? Then, then we can praise. Amen. Let's just take a moment and just do that. Let's, you don't have to even get out of your seat. Just, just You can lift your hands and we can speak out loud just in your own words. Praise to him right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we worship you and we praise your mighty name. Come on, join me. Open your mouth just right here. We praise your wondrous works. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. Your love is unending and unfailing. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for everything that you have done in our lives. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the blood poured out on the cross. We praise your name, Jesus. Great and greatly to be praised is your name. We magnify the person of Jesus in this place this morning, and we lift you up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's praise. When you open your mouth and you offer expression and you offer uh, thanksgiving to God, that is praise. Now listen, praise is not determined by your circumstances. Praise is not just something you do when life is going well. We don't just praise when we feel good or things are going good. 
Habakkuk 3, the prophet, he says this. He says, even though the fig tree doesn't blossom, there's no fruit in the vine, that the olives are going to fail, the fields are yielding no meat, the flock is cut off, there shall be no herd in the stalls, uh, we will still rejoice in the Lord and I will still praise the God of my salvation. He's saying that even when the bills aren't paid, even when the car didn't start, even when my marriage isn't so great, I will still find a way to praise the God of my salvation. And that way, when I praise in those times, when it's hard to praise, when it's hard to be thankful, those are the times when real breakthrough takes place. Those are the times when you experience real freedom. We offer praise regardless of circumstance. It's not always an emotional response. Oftentimes, praise is a decision on your part. Even though I don't feel like it, even though I, it, it's hard right now, I am still going to lift my voice. I am still going to clap my hands. I am still going to shout praises to God in the middle of my mess. That's real praise. The psalmist says, seven times do I praise thee, and will I, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be on my lips. That's a decision on his part. He's saying no matter what, God's praise will come out of my mouth no matter what I'm facing. When we come together corporately as a church on Sundays, praise lays the foundation by expression of our thanks and adoration to God. But worship is the next phase. We go from praise into worship. Worship, uh, praise takes us into the place of worship. Worship is a supernatural, mutual exchange between man and God. There's this dual thing happening in worship where not only we are, we are uh, expressing our, our gratitude and our adoration to God, but he is communing with us and his presence has arrived and he's spending time with us supernaturally. We said last week that worship means worthship. It means expressing worth or worthiness to someone or something. So it means to attribute worth to Jesus. It means to attribute worth to the God we worship. Worship is the intimate acknowledgement and the expression of the worship of Almighty God. And when we do that, when we go from just simply praising what He has done to worshiping who He is, He comes and He meets us here and His presence is manifested. And we not only speak to Him, but He speaks to us and we commune with Him in those times of worship. Worship is that moment when we enter the throne room of the King of Kings. It's when we're in his presence at his feet. We are to enter his presence with boldness. Yes, the scripture says that, but we don't enter rudely and we don't enter disrespectfully. We come into his presence with humility. Worship is a bowing down sometimes of our actual bodies, but a bowing down in our minds and our hearts before God. Worship is direct ministry to the Lord with him as the audience, the sole audience. It is a mutual love relationship in holy communion with God and intimacy. Worship is more than a thrill or a shiver or, or a sensation or goosebumps on your neck. Worship is that place where you're gripped, where you're gripped by his presence. You're gripped by who he is and you're, you stand in awe of who he is, where the awesomeness of almighty God demands our reverence and our humility. Worship is the place where we become aware of how unworthy we really are and how worthy he 
really is. And just as much as we need times of praise where we're shouting and clapping and leaping for joy and dancing in his presence, we need those times of worship where we all just fall to our knees and we spend time in the presence of God in humble adoration where there's a holy reverence overcoming us, where we cry out in humility, where we lay prostrate before the Lord and just worship him at his feet. See, praise is about God, but worship is to God. Praise is opening up. Worship is entering in. Praise is boldly declaring. Worship is humbly bowing. Praise is applauding what God has done. Worship is simply honoring God for who he is. It's one thing to praise a person and say, hey, good job on what you did. It's another thing to spend time intimately getting to know that person. It's easy from a, from a distance to say, hey, I like what you're doing. I like how things are going. It's not as easy to take the time to just spend time to get to know that person in intimacy and know their heart and know their feelings and know their emotions. That's where worship takes us, where we actually start to know the heart of God. The truth is, like I said, these often overlap and they're intertwined, but I want to encourage you in just a few moments, we're going to praise and worship God together. We're going to follow the biblical examples of how to express our praise and our worship to God. And if you've never shouted and praised before God before, today you need to open your mouth up and shout a shout of victory and express a biblical expression of praise to God. If you've never actually sang along in worship, you enjoy the music but you're uncomfortable about singing or you're, you're a little insecure about it, I want to encourage you, step out of your comfort zone today and sing along as they lead us in worship. Because I, I believe that when you start to do what the Bible says to do, it turns from that praise to that worship and you start to experience that intimacy with God when you step out of your comfort zone. If you've never lifted your hands in worship, that's something that is new to you or something that you've never experienced before. I want to encourage you, if you need to walk to the back of the room because you're a little bit not sure about what people are going to think, but you just slip one hand up in the back of the room, whatever it might be, I want to encourage you to get out of your comfort zone and worship God the way he instructed us to worship. Maybe you've never stepped out of your seat in worship and just spent time at the altar before God, and you think, well, that's people will look at me, or people will think something bad about me, or they think I've done something wrong, and all those kinds of things that we kind of attach to, to that kind of thing. I, I want to encourage you, step out of your seat today. Come before the Lord. Kneel before him. Lay prostrate in the floor before him. Spend time in his presence. Have some time where you just get out of your comfort zone and biblically express worship to God. If you've never leapt for joy before, I'm giving you permission. You can leap for joy in this house this morning. If you say, God has just been so good to me, you were jumping last night at the basketball game when they made that goal. You can jump this morning because God's a lot better than a basketball game and salvation's a lot better than a win, amen? And so I'm giving you permission. You can be exuberant in your praise this morning. You can, this place is a place of freedom to worship God in spirit and in truth. 
This is serious. This is the real deal. It is joyful. It is fun. It's fun to worship God. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that you can enjoy, but it's also serious. This is a spiritual discipline. It's a biblical mandate. This is a weapon in your tool belt for when things are hard and when things are difficult, when Satan is attacking you or life just gets challenging, you will find that you can step out and praise and in worship and God will meet you there in the middle of your difficulty. And even when it's uncomfortable or it's hard to do, the Spirit of God will come and He will meet you. He will encourage your heart. He will lift depression and anxiety and worry off of you. Fear has to leave when His presence comes in. See, when you worship God, things begin to happen. It is a serious deal and you're hindering yourself if you're not stepping out in worship. So, Worship is biblical, but it's also, it, it begins with praise and takes us to a place of intimacy. And then next, Pentecostal worship is led by the Spirit. Paul, when he's writing to the Ephesians about their times of worship, he says, don't get together and get drunk with wine like the world does, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Your worship services should be times of being filled with the presence of God. And he writes to the Corinthian church and he tells them to regularly expect the Holy Spirit to manifest himself as they worship together. He instructs them to expect the Holy Spirit to lead and the Holy Spirit to speak through them. Paul was addressing the Corinthian church and some of the problems they were having. If you read 1 Corinthians, it's just a laundry list of problems that, that Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with. They didn't know who their pastor was, and so they were trying to figure that out. In chapter 1, they weren't sure. Uh, they had some guy sinning and sleeping with his daughter. Uh, yeah, that was happening, and so they had to deal with that. There was another problem. They didn't understand how communion worked. And, and then in chapter 12, he gets to the Holy Spirit, and he said, let me talk to you about your Holy Ghost problems. You're not responding correctly to the move of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. He's addressing these problems now. And this church, it was, it was powerfully sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but they lacked discernment on the spiritual influences other than the Holy Spirit that were working their way into the church. They didn't know how to distinguish between spiritual influences. And they had a problem with people interrupting each other, both claiming to speaking, be speaking words from God, and some of them speaking words of curses on Jesus and saying it was the Holy Spirit speaking. And that led to confusion and chaos in the church. And no one knew what was really God and what wasn't God. And so that's why when you get to Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he's given specific instructions and in how to appropriately respond to the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's talking about when he says, do everything decently and in order. But in his writings through those chapters, he gives us a picture of what we should expect out of the Holy Spirit when we come together to worship. First, Paul says that we will surrender to the will and leadership of the Holy Spirit when we come together to worship. He said in chapter 12 that the Spirit speaks through Christians and he moves through Christ on Christians as he wills, as the Holy Spirit decides. He says that we are all empowered by one Spirit who works through all of us or each of us as he decides or as he determines. The key here is being sensitive to the Holy Spirit when we worship together. Sensitivity to what he is saying and what he is speaking during a worship service. Oftentimes, Katie and I on a Sunday morning, we're, we're talking before service and then even after service about what happened and what the Lord was doing, but we're even communicating during the worship service. Oftentimes, it's just a look or a, 
a nod or an acknowledgement, but there's this sensitivity that we're trying to cultivate of what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. Is it time to move on? Is it time to sing the next song? Is it time to preach the word? Is it time to pray for people? What is the Holy Spirit doing? We, and, and it's not just us as your pastors that need to do that. We as a church need to be sensitive. What does the Holy Spirit want to do this Sunday in our worship service? How is he leading us? Is it time to, to pray for someone? Is it time to come to the altar? Is it time to shout in joy? Is it time to, to, to lay before the Lord in quietness in his presence? So there's a sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit's leading us to. And yes, we as your pastors are leaders in that, but you too must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when you come. And then Paul also tells us in Corinthians that we should regularly expect the Holy Spirit to speak through spiritual gifts. That this was a regular expectation of the early church. As a Pentecostal church, I want to be clear We believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, and we believe they are all available to us today. We believe that God wants to speak through us with prophetic words of encouragement, with divine words of wisdom and knowledge, and the gift of tongues and interpretation. I want you to know that as long as Katie and I are pastors of this church, the gifts of the Holy Spirit will always be welcome in this church. And if you are a Spirit-filled believer... If you are a spirit-filled believer who can come under spiritual authority of your pastors, you are released to be used in the gifts of the Spirit as the Spirit leads you. I'm giving you permission today. You are released. As long as you can come under authority, as long as you can follow the leadership of your pastor, you can be, you should be. I'm giving you permission to be used by the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts in this church. Amen. Starting tonight and the next few weeks on Sunday nights, I want to go deeper into this because I don't have time this morning to talk about every spiritual gift and how they should work and how they should operate. So I want you to be here on Sunday nights because just in our short devotion time for the next few weeks, we're going to break this down even more and talk about how can we be used by the Holy Spirit uh, through uh, gifts of the Spirit? How can, how should we, how should we respond? What, what does that look like? And we're going to go more in depth. And so if you're, if you're curious, if you don't know what it's about, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you're not sure, if you believe in it, I want you to come on Sunday nights because we're going to go more in detail about it. And I promise you, if you open yourself up, you will watch and see God do incredible, miraculous things in your life. For now, we'll just leave it. The gifts of the Spirit are welcome in this church. We expect the gifts of the Spirit. And as the Spirit leads, I want you to pray and ask the Lord to open you up to be used by the gifts in the gifts of the Spirit. So when Paul writes in 14, he regularly expects for prophetic words and interpretation. He said it was he was even more than what I would honestly be comfortable with. He said two or three people speak in tongues and get up as long as they're interpreted. Two or three get up and prophesy like whoever whoever the Lord speaks. So so we're open what God I want what what you have and I don't have all the answers. God can use you in ways to speak and encourage us as a church body. So the worship is spirit led. And I want us to pray. Let's just stop and pray right now that in a moment because I'm almost done. We're going to worship and I want the Holy Spirit to lead us in our time of worship. Father. We are opening ourselves up right now. In just a moment, when the team comes to lead us in worship, really they're just, they're leading your following. Or they're leading what you tell them to do, Lord, but help us to be sensitive as an entire church body and congregation to what you want to do and what direction you want us to take. Help us as pastors, Katie and I, to know the direction to lead our people in, in our worship. 
And Lord, if you want to speak through a gift of the Spirit, we say right now, we are open to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. We're open to receive the gifts of the Spirit, and we will respond in Jesus' name. Amen. This leads me to this last point. Worship requires participation. Because our worship is based on the Bible and because our worship is, is, is begins with praise and because our worship is led by the Holy Spirit, it all means that our worship requires everyone's participation. That means if you're in the room right now, if you're part of this congregation at this moment when we worship, I'm expecting you to participate in worship because the Bible expects you to participate in worship. Among Paul given instructions for worship, he starts talking about the church being like the human body, that every part of the body is necessary and every part of the body has a function. And it works the same for the church. You are a part of this church, therefore you are necessary to this church. You are a part of this church, therefore you have a function and a ministry and a purpose in this church. He says, you're the body of Christ and individually you are members of it. That means if you're part of this church, you bring something unique to the worship service. You bring something unique to the table when we come together and gather together to worship God. You bring giftings and you bring anointing that adds to the spiritual atmosphere when we come to worship. You have something that I don't have. You have something that Katie doesn't have. You have something that the worship team doesn't have. And it adds to our church's ability to corporately together worship God. That's one reason why church attendance is important. Not simply because church coming to church is good for you which it is and you should but also because you coming to church is good for us is good for me but uh, when you're not here we miss out because you contribute to our corporate atmosphere of worship we need you you could be the one God speaks through with the spiritual gift you could be the one with a tongue or interpretation you could be the one that prays for someone at the altar and we see them healed miraculously God is going to use you if you allow him that's why it's important you're here because we miss out when you're not here so when you come to church don't wait for Katie and for Joey and Kayla and, and Bart to get you whipped up into something don't wait for them to work you up into something you come prayed up and you come hyped up before you get here because God wants to use you. Come to church after you've already spent time with God. Come to church and after you've been in the prayer closet and intimacy with God and you've been freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. During your Sunday morning routine, pray and spend time with the Lord. On your drive to church, you tell the Lord, Lord, I am ready to be used by you in this worship service in any way you want me to. God, if you want me to prophesy this morning, I'm going to need some words to speak. God, if you want me to pray for the sick, anoint my hands with the gift of healing to pray for the sick. God, if you want me to speak a message in tongues, would you prepare my heart to give the interpretation or someone else to give the interpretation? Come expecting God to use use you in church, to use you in worship. You are the vessel through which God wants to move in this church. Where's the kids? How many kids we got in here? Raise your hand. Look at me. Kids, this applies to you too. Kids, this is about you too. All ages, you are here in this room because we believe that you have the ability to worship God just as good, if not better, than adults. Worship isn't just something for grown-ups. Worship isn't just something for old people. Worship is for you. Worship is for you guys as children. When you come here or as teenagers, when you're here on Sunday mornings, you should sing too. 
When you're here on Sunday mornings, kids, you should worship too. You should shout too. You should be in the altar praying for people. When we invite people to pray, almost every Sunday I say, come and join us as we pray for these people. Kids, I want you to come and lay hands on these people. You might be the one that God uses to, to touch someone else, to change someone else's life. You guys, as kids, can be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues. You guys can pray with people and lead them as they invite Jesus into their hearts for the first time. You guys, as kids, can be used by God. Sometimes us old folks aren't too good at it. Sometimes we, we don't have the ability. Last Sunday night, I read in the scripture where Jesus said, the kingdom of God belongs to you as children. It belongs to you as young people. It's yours. So don't believe that this isn't for you. And don't believe that this isn't something you can participate in. You, you, you can show us, you can teach us adults something if you would get after it. Worship is about participation, not observation. It is about getting in. The ones on the platform here aren't actually the worship team. We call them that, but that's not really what they are. They're leading us in worship, but we as a group are a worship team. We in the pews are a worship team. We are not an audience this morning. He is the audience. And this entire room is a platform from which we offer praise and worship to God. And when we do that together, he promises that he will come into this room with us. He will manifest himself in this room. He will be here when we worship and praise him, and he will speak, and he will heal, and he will do the miraculous. When we get our understanding together and understand we are all here to offer worship to God, and he will show up. Here at Believer's Fellowship, we will endeavor to ensure that our worship is always biblical and based on the Bible, is always included passionate praise and worship, is always led by the Spirit, and is always a group effort, a group participation, not just observation. And what we see in the Scripture is when we put all this together in worship, there are tangible results. And I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come. There are tangible results to our Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered worship. First thing that we see God shows up. God's presence is manifested. Of course, God's always around. He's omnipresent. But there is a special manifestation of God's spirit when we worship God in spirit and in truth. People are healed. God speaks through the gifts of the spirit. We're encouraged by his presence. Also, Jesus is glorified. Our worship is always about Jesus and lifting him up. And when we worship God, we begin to see Jesus more clearly. We fall more in love with Jesus. And the church is edified. We leave edified, that just means built up. It means we leave encouraged. It means we live, leave uh, uh, with our faith increased and our, our, our uh, spirits lifted because we've been in God's presence. But I want you to look at this last one. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, the lost are saved. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, just if you'll start playing... Unbelievers sense the reality of God when we worship him. Paul, when he's writing in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, I remember I said he's giving instructions on how to appropriately respond in worship. 
and how to appropriately respond to the Holy Spirit's leading. And he's correcting their problems that they were having and, and they were doing things a little bit incorrectly. And, and he says, hey, we need to fix this. And he gives instructions. And in chapter 12, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. In chapter 13, he talks about always making sure our motivation is love and, and is loving God and loving people. And then he gives us specific instructions on how to deal with, with prophecy and how to deal with tongues and interpretation, all that kind of stuff. But there's this interesting verse in chapter 14. After he finishes giving all the instructions about how to appropriately worship God and how to appropriately respond to his presence, he says this. He says, if you do these things, if you do what I'm telling you to do, if you follow these instructions, this is what will happen. It says, thus, if an unbeliever or an outsider comes in, he will be convicted. That's not a bad word. That just means that he will be experiencing the presence of God and speaking to his spirit. He will be convicted and called to account. His secrets of his heart will be revealed. And as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. Your worship could lead somebody else to a saving relationship with Jesus. Your worship, your obedience to God, your being used in the gifts of the Spirit, you being full of the Holy Spirit, you praising God with joy and excitement, you praising God and demonstrating that with expressions with your body and your voice. When all of that is put together and led by the Holy Spirit, the Bible said that when unbelievers come in this place, they will sense something different in the room. They will sense love in the room they've never sensed before. They will sense an acceptance in the room that they have never experienced before. They will sense a joy in the room that they have never experienced before. And then the Holy Spirit will start speaking. And who might give you a word to go and pray for someone? Or he might give you an encouragement to go and prophesy over someone. And the secrets of their heart will be revealed. Have you ever had a preacher preaching and it felt like he was preaching right to you and right to your experience and right to your situation? That's what this is talking about. When you come in the worship service and it's all been an appropriate response to God and it's like your heart is just cut open. It's like God knows exactly what you're going through, and He's spoken exactly to you and directly to you. And then it says they'll fall on their face, and they'll join you in worship, and they'll say, God's really here, and I want some of what these people have got, and I want an encounter like they have, and I want a freedom like they have, and I want a joy like they have. I want something that they've got. See, your worship can change someone else's life. I want you to stand with me. We're going to respond and worship and in praise in just a moment. And I, I don't know, I, we're going to do the thing where we're just kind of going to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. She's got songs picked out for them to sing, but it's not just about the music. I want to encourage you, use your voice in worship. Sing, shout, speak praises unto God. Open your mouth out and worship Him. Lift your hands, leap for joy. You're free to dance before the Lord. You're free to spend time in, in bowing and kneeling or even laying before the Lord. I want you to express worship this morning and a biblical way, not how you're just comfortable, but how you're instructed by the Word of God. Because I believe when you step out and you say, I'm going to worship God with everything that I've got, lives are going to be changed. There's going to be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in this room, unlike anything you've ever seen before. I want you to come on, just worship right now before they sing. Lord, we worship you and we praise your mighty name. We give you glory, God. Come on, church, lift your voices. Lift your voices. Lift your hands. 
Step out of the aisle if you need to. Get out of your seat if you need to worship God. But express Him. Express worship and praise to Him. We magnify the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the life that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for healing our body. Thank you, God, for saving our soul, for restoring our marriage. Lord, thank you for delivering us from addiction and depression and fear and anxiety. We praise your mighty name, Jesus. We glorify the King of kings and Lord of lords this morning. Oh, we worship you, God.